Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I am so delighted and honored and humbled to have, I consider my friend, my brother, a mentor, uh, a leader of leaders, uh, an amazing husband, an amazing uh, father, uh, a man of God, and so much more. I'm going to read his bio. Uh, Y'all are in for an amazing episode. I, I know this already. You're going to need to watch or listen to this episode multiple, multiple times uh, for we know that repetition is the mother of skill. And and this brother, Sean, has so much value and he's going to drop. I, I, I already can tell you, I can predict the future right now, what's going to happen. OK, so Sean Isaacs, he's a multi-talented business coach, business owner and entrepreneur whose innate gifts and abilities have blessed the Christian community for more than 25 years. A marketing specialist, sales professional, powerful speaker, gifted songwriter, and singer, I've heard the music, it's awesome, recording artist, and the co-founder of IMG and Double Edge Music. Known as the Christian business growth and marketing specialist, Sean specializes in helping businesses improve their image, attract more customers, increase sales, and their bottom line without spending lots on advertising. Much of Sean's knowledge, skills, and insight has come from 20 plus years in sales and marketing and 13 years experience as a broadcast marketing specialist with New York, New York's number one Christian radio station, Star 99.1 FM, which reaches 500,000 plus weekly listeners. To Sean, marketing for me is everything. It's the way you answer your phone, promotions, advertising, sales, customer service, and so on. Thank you, Sean. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's a, great to be here, brother. Thank you so much for the invite. As I said to you, as you and I were talking prior to, uh, you know, get going live or, or recording, um, it's a privilege to be able to connect with you and to be able to serve in this capacity. And I just want to, I just want to um, button up or put the icing on the cake of what you said uh, about um, listening to something more than once. I think there are so many people that don't understand the principle of repetition. You know, in scripture, as you know, being a man of God, uh, the change from God's perspective comes through meditation, right? Psalm 1 says, they that meditate on the law, how often day and night will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that whatsoever they do will prosper. And if you want to prosper in all areas of your life, one of the first habits you want to develop is the habit of reading a book more than once listening to a podcast more than once, watching a YouTube video more than once, if it impacts your life. You know, I, I'm amazed by the people who will, will hear something, hear a speech, read a book and say it was, quote, life changing. And you're like, okay, well, how many times did you go through the material? Oh, I only went through it once. So this this idea of knowing that that's, that's defined as more information received is, a lack of understanding of what knowing really is. As I often uh, would say to my kids, uh, Brother David, uh, knowing is doing, right? So when one of my children say, Daddy, I know, I'm like, are you doing it? Because in the Bible, knowing is a verb. Knowing is an action. Knowing is not Greek in sense that it's just more information you've gathered, gathered from a Hebrew mindset, which is the, 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 the thinking and the philosophy, you can say in one sense, behind the scriptures, right? Every New Testament writer besides Luke was a Hebrew mind or a Hebrew thinker, not a Gentile. And I'm not, I'm not, not, not seeking to overemphasize that way of thinking above any other, only that there's a reason we miss 
so many nuances in how we should be thinking. And this idea that I'm getting more knowledge by being exposed to more information is why many of us, me included, over the years, are not able to see real change in an area. Because we all know this. If I listen to this podcast today, six months from now, I listen to it again and I'm like, wow, I, I heard a whole bunch of things that were new. And the reality is, no, none of the information was new. I'm just in a different state of mind. I'm in a different place. And so the information resonates with me uh, differently. Uh, so thanks for the introduction. I just wanted to reinforce the, the need to, to go deep uh, rather than go wide uh, with learning. Uh, that's powerful. I love it. I told you, I told you all, it's going to be just like this, this whole <laughs> episode. So, um, Sean, take us through the story of, of Sean from coming from from the Bahamas and take take us through the journey, right? Like how did, just take us through the story of, of developing into the person you are today. All right. Tell me how much time you want me to take. Right? <laughs> Two minutes, five minutes? Flow, however you oh, feel. Okay. So, so born and raised in the Bahamas, parents separated when I was about three years old. At the time we lived in New York City. Uh, there's some stuff about my, my uh, early childhood that I still haven't filled in the blanks. I didn't see my dad again until I was 13. My mother moved my twin brother and I to the Bahamas at about, well, she said five, up until maybe two weeks ago, I was telling people like three. She reminded me that, no, we lived in New York City until until I was five. And so um, five years old, left Brooklyn, moved to New York, moved to uh, the Bahamas, I lived there until I was 17. Didn't see my dad until again until I was 13, maybe 14 years old. At that age, I would come back to New York City every Christmas, every summer, and so if I don't have much of an island accent, a lot of it started there. At 17 years old, I moved back to New York City with one goal in life, uh, David, and that was to be a sex symbol. Uh, I was a singer. Uh, at that time, I started modeling. And well, I would say from 17 to 20, uh, my head and heart got filled with, quote, how beautiful I am, how good looking I am. All these things began to take over my life because New York City, just like Philly, uh, Girls at that time were very aggressive and they, you know, I, it was very unique for me growing up in the Bahamas where where girls were were, were were more passive and guys were more the ones that were would would be aggressive and, and how you doing and that sort of thing. So this was like this was like life changing for me. Uh, so between 17 to 20, I committed that I was going to um, and I always say be a sex symbol because I'll, I'll tie it around. Um, I'll, I'll kind of bring it back to the business side in a moment. And so um at around 21 or so, you know, I'm singing. I have like three or four record companies that want to sign me to do music. Uh, I'm modeling, I'm getting into some acting. At that time, one of my good friends uh, at that time was uh, was um, Terrence Howard. And uh, and Terrence said, you know, uh, at my age at 22, Terrence said, I'm going to be a big time actor. I said, you know, me, I'm going to be a big time singer. Well, God had other plans for me, right? Uh, what What is not filled in in those 22 years is I was raised by a godly Caribbean mother. Now, you know, coming from, from African heritage, um, you know, parents from those type of backgrounds don't ask you your opinion. They're not worried about being politically correct. They don't care what other people think. If you act up, you're going to get, you're going to get fixed, uh, even if it's publicly. And uh, my mother had a value on church that she required that I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. Didn't matter how I feel. It didn't matter how old I was. As long as I was living in her house, I had to live this way. Well, I rebelled against all of that once I got to New York City within probably about a year or two to three years. 
uh, after being praised and applauded and having my head filled with pride uh, because of the compliments from all the girls I, and all the stuff that, that I did. Well, at 22 years old, my oldest brother died and I got my attention. And uh, at that age, I committed my life to the Lord and um, I began to... to uh, how, how old was your brother? I'm so sorry, I, didn't, I never knew that. How old was your brother when he passed? Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy, like, let me just get to, let me just get to the story. Uh, my brother at that time was 24. Wow. My brother was 24. My twin brother and I were 22. And uh, my brother, actually, what's unique about his situation and you, you know, having some, some African heritage, you would probably have more of appreciation for this than maybe many um, that have not grown up around it. But, but the bottom line, I would say, is um, my belief and understanding is it was through witchcraft. Someone had threatened him and some of his co-workers and within a probably, I think, a one to two year period, uh, everything they said would take place actually happened. Probably within, a, uh, I'd say, one or two weeks before my brother died, he committed his life fully to the Lord. We all saw fruit in his life. I was not living for the Lord at that time. I thought my brother was strange. I can go into some backstory of that. There's a lot there, a lot of history. But um, after I began to commit my life to the Lord, I got sold out. I uh, moved back to New York City and, and uh, over time uh, joined uh, Times Square Church with David Wilkerson. Sat under that ministry and got uh, what I would say transformed. That's why I met my wife, developed a burden for missions and evangelism. And at 26, my wife and I moved back to the Bahamas. I took her, I took her actually at 27. I took my wife to the Bahamas. Uh, at, I was 26, she was 23 when we married. I took her there for our honeymoon. And while there, you know, uh, she fell in love with the island. And uh, my mother had a home, three bedroom house that was paid for on that island. She was living somewhere else and this home was vacant. And she said, you know, you guys can live here if you like. And we were like, great, get married. I can live for free, perfect. So I moved to the Bahamas at 27, wow. uh, me and my wife, uh, with the goal of, you know, we're going to start a church and, and uh, do work. So uh, that began my, my, my bivocational days, you know, where I would be in ministry and working. Well, I got a really good job uh, working, uh, working for a, um, a, biz, a, a building materials company uh, as a payroll administrator. Uh, and, um, and I did that for maybe about three years. Uh, and eventually some things happened. I decided to leave that business. But during all this time, my wife and I had committed, uh, David, that we would homeschool our children. And I, after we got married, I brought her home. And that was our commitment together, that she wanted to pour her lifetime and energy into our kids. At that time, we had three children. Uh, by, by this time, we had three children. So, so that which required me uh, to make more money. Because see, living in the Bahamas at that time, I think I made under $400 a week, and that was considered really good income. You know, this wasn't low income. I mean, because I, you know, I, I, we were middle class, considered, you know, at this point. And this is the 90s, by the way. So, um, and so, and so, what ended up happening is, uh, in 19, 1999, right? So I developed this entrepreneurial spirit, started a landscaping company, did a bunch of other things because I needed to supplement that that low income so my wife could uh, work from home while doing ministry. And 1999, I think it was, I started a building materials company with about $8,000 on the island of, uh, in the Bahamas. And you've heard me share this story, population of 25,000 people. My competitors had all been older than, than I was at the time. The businesses had been in business more than 30 years, which was older than I was. Um, there was no social media. 
uh, newspaper, a radio, and uh, television, and I had no money to do advertising. But what I did have is a real passion for people. I loved people. I had a great work ethic, dependence on God. So I prayed every day for God's insight and wisdom on how to grow that business. And in uh, year one, we did 1.2 million in sales. Wow. And, uh, and so uh, I, I'll leave some room for some more questions because I can yeah. fill in wherever you want. Uh, I know you know some of my story, but... <laughs> You know, and, that, and, and the rest is history. That was the beginning. <laughs> Being bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. And, and, and you know, what I would say is, uh, and there are a few guys like this, uh, but there's not a lot. What I don't see a lot of, David, is a lot of people who are, I'm going to say, sold out for the Lord and good at business. <laughs> uh, I see a lot of people that are either very good at business and very weak devotional lives or very passionate about missions and souls and glorifying God, but weak when it comes to money and entrepreneurship. And uh, I've just sought by God, God's grace to, um, you know, do ministry, which I'm still in ministry now, and still build tents. You know, Paul built tents and Paul was committed uh, that he, he did not want to uh, do ministry in a way where he had to be dependent upon the people that he ministered to for his living, even though biblically that's that's commanded in scripture. But yeah, so, wow. um, so so much. I mean, just you sharing your story brings up so many uh, nuggets and things and just but but I want to I want to go I want to go back to, um, you know, as and you're going through this process when you were going through this process of development. And, and I know you still are. We're all developing and improving. Um, as as life, I know you're a lifelong learner. Um, <clears throat> what what would you say? What is your is your dominant gift? And when did you realize what your gift is? So that's a good question. So I would say my my gift is uh, teaching. My dominant gift is teaching. I, I guess I'll put threefold, right? Teaching, teaching, communication slash wisdom. Um, wisdom is, it's taken me years to figure out that wisdom was, was something that God gave me in abundance. And, um, and I, 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 that was revealed to me through teaching, through communicating with others. And so, um, I don't know how to put those three things together, but, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, in college, uh, I was afraid of speaking. So when I say communication as a gift, I think a lot of people think of gifts, especially when you get into the church world and the religious world. We think of giving as God gives like this. You hold out your hand and he drops it into your hand. And I'm like, that's Greek and Roman thought. That's not how God gives. The way God gives, it has to be taken. It has to be possessed. You have to, so God gives something in seed form. So, so it took me years to figure out that I have to give God credit for this. I don't know when it began, but I've been a Christian now for more than 30 years. And um, David, I feel like there there hasn't been a day in those 30 years. There's few days in those 30 years that I have not prayed for wisdom. That's number one. Number two, going to the speaking or communication. In college, I didn't speak. I was introverted when I moved to New York City at 17. I was quiet. I was ashamed to be uh, to be to speak out in public. And so it's being put in environments 
where I had to exercise what God had given me in seed form. It allowed that which had been given in seed form to be fruitful and to multiply. And so there's wisdom, there's communication, and, uh, and then teaching. And teaching, again, I didn't realize that I had the quote gift to teach. And I, and I put the three together because normally, normally my the wisdom is seen through teaching and the communication is seen through teaching. So that's why I said teaching is like the main gift, but but what what gives value to that teaching is an ability to communicate how people can hear and receive it, and then the wisdom to be able to know what to say, when, how to say it, and how to put information uh, together in a way that it can actually not just educate folks, but give them ability to take action on what they heard, they've heard. Mm, powerful. Oh my goodness. I, I just have to go back to a point you just said about how God gives wisdom in a seed, or sorry, gives a gift in a seed form, and and we 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 go and take it. I, I wonder how many people are walking around with in life, waiting for their gift or waiting for the gift to appear, and not realizing the little seed that they have that they could nurture. I mean, that is mind blowing. I've never heard it said that way. I mean, when you think about right this generation and and and, and the young people to, of today, how would you encourage uh, a younger child or 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 a younger Sean to 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 develop that gifting or find that gifting that God gives but doesn't always make always clear? Some people have certain gifts that are obvious, like LeBron James. Obviously, could find that he had an athletic ability. You know, certain people can have uh, uh, certain outward dominant things that you can easily tell. But there are other gifts that you can't see, like empathy or uh, serving or things of that yeah. nature. So how would you, how would you do that? So, yeah, that's a very good question. So if I was speaking to a younger Sean, number one, I would say, don't expect, don't expect whatever you are going to be to be easy, to get this, that they expect that it will be easy to get there. Uh, again, I think when people think of gifts, they think of natural. They think it's 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 effortless. They think it's going to be easy. And I say, no, let's take Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan in high school was not considered, from my reading and my knowledge and understanding, a good basketball player. College, right coaching, and and proper disciplines and habits formed put him in a place where what he was given in seed form, he was then able to develop and multiply. And so when I go back to the way God gives, you, a good example of this is Joshua chapter one, right? Joshua chapter one, God says to Joshua, every place that you step, I have already past tense given it to you. So God has already given it, but the way God gives is it must be possessed. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent do what? They take it by force. So you don't receive anything from God without effort. You don't receive anything from God without taking it, without possessing it. Anything of real value, right? So let's take birds, for example, because this for some people may be foreign. Matthew chapter 6, God says he feeds the birds of the air. Well, how does he feed them? Does he drop food out the sky? No, they need to use the eyes that they have. They need to use the instinct that they have to determine what is edible. 
They need to use their wings to fly down to the water to capture. And at the end of the day, they cannot boast. They cannot be prideful and said, we did this. No, God gets the credit. God gets the glory. Because see, the way God gives, God gives in, again, I want to say it. God gives in seed form. And then what he gives you in seed form, everything multiplies after its kind. Let's, let's, let's back up for a moment, right? So God creates the Garden of Eden, right? And everything that he made, he put a seed in it. Everything that was male had a seed so that it can reproduce after its kind. Could God not just make a world where we just always have all the fruits we need? Why is there a process? Why does a seed have to be planted and I have to wait four years to get the apple tree? Because God does not skip steps. His laws require that if you're going to get what God has given, you have to take it. You have to possess it. And so many people who are waiting, right, for someone to affirm this is your gift or someone to tell them this is what you're gifted in. And that's great when other people can recognize it. Some people are not moving because they expect it to be easy. They expect it to be effortless. They expect it to be completed and perfected already. Like some person may say, I'm not a good writer. And I'm like, okay. And you can't develop writing. Mm. You know, I know so many people, David, who felt I'm not a good communicator. I'm not a good writer. I'm terrible on video. One of the things I have people do a lot, you know, people come and they want to develop YouTube channels and they want to have everything perfect, right? And I say, you know what? Look at the top three or four YouTubers that you like and go and look at their first videos. And what you would see is not something polished, perfect, proper lighting, great sound. What you would see is something in seed formed that's not developed. Here's the second thing you'll see. The second thing you'll see is very rarely will anyone who start out a channel today, five years later, are creating content around that same thing. When Twitter started, it didn't start out as Twitter. Right. right. When Facebook started, it didn't start out as, quote, Facebook. It started out as a dating app. Hmm. Right. We can go down the list of the companies that have been launched. And what were they launched with? Ideas, things in seed form. And then what did they do? They did what we call market validation. They tested the market. They adapted. They adjusted to what their customers wanted. And what you'll see, Amazon, look at what Amazon is today. Look at Amazon's history. Amazon almost went out of business three times. Wow. Okay. So, so what happens to many people when we get into the topic of gifting or we get into the topic of talent, a lot of times it's put in a ram that it required no effort, mm. right? Kobe Bryant will tell you, Kobe Bryant will tell you that he practiced four times a day for mm. two to three hours at a time. Kobe, I've gone through his story, said that other athletes would start their day like eight or nine o'clock. And he thought, if I'm going to be the best at this, I got to start at four. I could get it at two extra practice day if I start earlier. And so the idea that because I am gifted, not me, just a person, that that means that I, uh, I I'm, I'm, that it was natural, right? You know, a, a natural gift would be singing, right? Uh, that, that God gave me a gift of singing that, that 
you know, my daughter was just talking to me before. It's ironically five minutes before we started. My 14 year old came to me and said, Dad, um, do you believe God God can answer a prayer to make me uh, fast? And I said, yeah, God has no limits. She said, well, I read on Google that if you are a certain speed that you can't really do much with that. And this is where I differ. Like I, I, there's no limitations in my mind on the way I think, right? Now, I'm not saying just because you believe you can fly, you can fly. <laughs> I'm just saying that often our challenges are more our limitations and what we think and what we believe. And uh, if you met me at, at 15, like I was looking through my high school pictures the other day, and I, I showed it to my kids when I was like 15, and they almost couldn't find me. I was so lost in the pictures, right? And uh, and I said, you know, uh, in high school, I was unknown. I was not popular. I was uh, an introvert. I was afraid of people. I stayed to myself. And if I was, if I was raised in an environment where I continually heard, you're just, you're just, you know, that's you, you're quiet, you're shy. If I heard that kind of language, that would have reinforced wow. not what I am, but it would have made me something that God did not create me to be. That's, that's my true. view, right? Uh, and so uh, I do think that we're given in seed form and then we're able to, to, to develop it. So again, if I was speaking to my previous Sean, I would say uh, there are years David, where I expected things to be easier. And because I expected it to be easier, it made me entitled. It gave me a victim mentality. It, 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 it destroyed my ability to endure difficulty without murmuring and complaining because I went in with, the, with expectations that were too low. If I expected that things would be difficult, if I expected challenges, I think uh, I would have skipped many steps, though I appreciate where I am today. That is so profound, my goodness. Wow, wow, I'm, I'm just over here just soaking all this up. Wow, powerful. Um, thank you so much, Sean. So let me ask you this, because you know, one of the, and it's amazing, you're like right in cue with how we uh, operate on the show and just the whole philosophy. Um, I think I've shared with you the, the principle that I um, uh, God revealed to me a long time ago about the parable of the talents and discovering uh, they had to discover what God had given them. They had the, the talent, and then the, the, the then they had to develop it. They got actually to, to to multiply what you were given, and then the last part that's implied is the distri distribution. So you're, you're not going to get you know develop your talents to just uh, look at how great a person is. They're they're developing their talents so they can infect impact others, and so therefore they have to market themselves. So I'd like us to kind of go. Uh, you, you 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 went deep into it. I want to go even deeper into it. Uh, yeah. The, the 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 phase of development, right? Because and I'm going to call this out because you you brought it up to to a point too that a lot of times in the church um, there is and and this is I'll just be honest, transparent. This is what what I saw when I first got saved. I would ask the question is why are some of these business people so successful? They don't know God. They don't know these principles. They don't know this, but they're successful. And then I come to church and these people know God, but they're not successful. And and I, I didn't I didn't get it right away, but mm. I but I but I learned that the, the, the scripture about uh, faith without works is dead and, and and it seemed that the people that don't know God would outwork 
they have a little bit of faith, but have a lot of a lot of work. And, and then the people that were in the church would have a lot of faith and a little bit of work. And um, and so you talk about development. Can you talk to talk to us to, and, and, and the listeners? How important is you know developing that gift and what goes in behind the scenes? I know you're an avid reader. I know you pour into yourself. What goes into your development to get yourself to the level you have gotten yourself today? And what goes into development overall into gifting? Yeah, there's, there's so much there. Thank you. Wow. Where do I begin? Uh, let's start with, let's go back to that business, right? And I started with $8,000, 1.2 million year one. Uh, what I did not tell you is by year three, I ended up having to close that business and to put my family $100,000 in debt. It was one of the worst things that happened to us within a two or three week period. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. I stepped down from ministry. It was some of the most difficult seasons in our life, but it has today now become some of the best seasons in our life because it put us in a position to grow, to learn, to develop hope, right? There's a lot of talk in the church about faith. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, uh, hoped for. Without a strong hope, there's nothing for the anchor of that faith. Faith has to be anchored to something. And the Bible says in Romans 5 that hope is produced by experience, right? And so after closing that business, the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart that I needed to, uh, one, I, I the reason that the business closed is I ran it from heart, not head, Jew versus, versus Gentile or Christian. Christian tend to run business from heart. Jew, Jewish community tends to run business from from head, I say they read the front of the book, we tend to read the back of the book. And when you learn to read the whole of the book, you start getting what I call a balance uh, posture in business. Wait, right? I, 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 know, I know what you're saying, but can you expand on that? Because I don't think the listeners <laughs> caught what you just said right there yeah. about how to run business and how you were running business and how. Yeah, so, so if you look at the Jewish community, right? It's not a coincidence that they're very successful. You mentioned, uh, you know, when you look at the church, the church, generally speaking, when it comes to money, we have two extremes. Either poverty is a virtue or prosperity is the gospel. And that message, you're entitled to prosperity because you're a king's kid. Both of those are errors. Both of them make people passive. Both of them put people in an entitlement mindset. And so uh, you're unable to compete in the marketplace. So um, when I look at the Jewish community, Michael Dell, Dell Computers, Jewish. Facebook, Jewish. Starbucks, uh, Schultz, Jewish, Disney, Jewish, right? Amazon, Jew. We could go down the list, right? PayPal, Jewish. Is it a coincidence? Now we could say, oh, they're all successful because they help each other. You don't know any Jewish people then, right? Uh, if you think they all just help each other, you're a little bit ignorant. Um, and I'm not saying they don't help each other. I'm just saying they understand mastery. They understand you focus on one thing and you become a master of that, right? And for example, I don't do my lawn. Why? Not that I don't know how to do it. I used to in a landscaping company. Why don't I do my lawn? Because my time is too valuable to spend outside for two or three hours cutting the lawn when I can pay my neighbor to do it. And I could use those two or three hours to get better at who and what I am, right? So the Jewish community understands that. And that has a lot to do with their names. Goldsmith is called Goldsmith because he's an expert in gold, all right? Those are little nuggets there that, that people can research. Uh, you know, anyone that understands or knows about, uh, I think you know Rab Daniel, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's on the show, yeah. yeah. I love Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's a good resource for, yeah. for some of these thoughts so you can right. get them from a rabbinic 
uh, Jewish perspective. But the church tends to run business from heart, right? And so why did I close that business? I ran it from heart. We love everybody. God is good. Pastor, you don't have to pay me yet. You can pay me in six months. Praise the Lord. I'm doing God's work. I'm doing ministry. And God's like, okay, go on doing that, but you're going to close. Why? Because Proverbs says in chapter 10, uh, he that deals with a slack hand will come to poverty. If you are not aware of what's going on in your business, if you are just giving away everything, thinking, quote, you're doing ministry, you will not be in business that long. It's not a coincidence that 92% of businesses fail in America in the first 10 years or 67% the first five years. So you don't want to run business from heart. You want to run business from head and heart. You need both. Heart is customer service. Heart is, you know, all the things that go into feeling and uh, and relationship building and that sort of thing, right? So, so I had to learn the hard way and it was a good experience for me because the Holy Spirit directed me, Sean, uh, you need to read a proverb a, a day. There's 31 in the Bible, and I've read a proverb a day probably for the last 30, almost 30 years, right? Um, yeah, it's, uh, 2001 is when I closed that business. So yeah, it would be almost 30 years. Um, I haven't done it every day, but almost every day I would read a proverb a day. Uh, and that's on top of any other reading, on top of any other devotional. Uh, so so, so I'll come back to the things I've done to uh, develop my gift, but I just wanted to throw that out there. So I think one of the reasons um, the Gentile world succeeds in business outside of the Jewish community. I mean, there's a uniqueness there with how they are. They, are they, they think about money. They think about they think about edu education. They're thinking about mastery. Right. Uh, and, and being coming a master of one subject um, that those are important ideas there. Uh, but on top of that work ethic, mindset right if you believe if you don't know if it's god's will to prosper your business it will affect how you pray how you act what you do that on and on we can go there with the challenges so i have a simple uh i would call it um uh well uh the idea came from a little book i read years ago called god's secret of success i probably read this book maybe about 15 to 20 years ago 15 years ago uh by the way my my um my bio is not updated as you were reading it i've i've been in I've been in Christian radio for about 19 years now. So wow. that, that says 13. I'm like, wow, broadcast. I got to update it. I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at that bio in a long time. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is um, uh, what I've done for many, many years is number one, I give God the first day of every week. I've done this for 30 years. So for me, the first day of the week is Sunday, right? And that's my quote, Sabbath rest. Saturday in the Bible is the Sabbath. I don't think it changed, but my Sabbath rest day is Sunday. That's the day I do ministry, everything else. So on that day, I don't do any work, right? That's my time to re, to, to get uh, re-energized, strengthened. Secondly, I give God the first hour of every day, minimum. I give God an hour a day. Now this mindset that people have, I don't have enough time. So I'm gonna read for five minutes or I'm gonna have my devotional life on my way out the door or on the train. I think it's missing how God's laws work. Anyone that understand how God's laws work, the way God's laws work, if what you give God only multiplies, mm. right? So, so the third thing is I give God the first tenth of every dollar. And what I find is when I give God my dollar out of my 10, God multiplies my nine so that I have more left. When I give God the first hour of the day, he makes, he gives me wisdom to get more out of the 23. Ooh. See what people miss is you cannot outgive God. 
Now we always think about Luke chapter six, give and it shall be given unto you. She press down, shaken together, running over and men shall give into your bosom. That's true. And Jesus is teaching about how you cannot outgive God, quote, and how God moves on the hearts of people because it's men that will give into your bosom, not God. God uses people, right? But what I've learned is when you give God the first fruits of everything in your life, he multiplies the rest. And so giving God the first day of the week, giving God the first hour of the day, giving God the first tenth of every dollar, making sure that God is first in my habits, first in my affections, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. And these are things you have to be intentional about. And so uh, for me, I find that when I start my morning right, the rest of my day goes well, right? So um, uh, last thing I would say is, um, you know, I'm writing a book right now called uh, Let's Grow in Wisdom. And uh, and and, uh, and I, I've talked to you about, um, I'm, I'm relaunching uh, uh, my, YouTube, well, I have a couple YouTube channels, but one of them I'm relaunching uh, under this brand, Let's Grow in Wisdom. And, um, you know, there's a couple ways to grow in wisdom. Right. First of all, the Bible says wisdom is the most important thing. It's the principal thing. What a lot of people miss, David, watch Watch how profound this is. Luke 2 verse 40 says that Jesus was filled with wisdom. Verse 52 says Jesus increased in wisdom. How can he that is filled increase? Again, if you think like a Hebrew, it all makes sense. If you think like a Greek in a room and you think he's filled, there's nothing else to add. Right. When you go to when you go to Ephesians five, it says be filled with the spirit. Well, the idea there is be being filled. You don't get filled once. You are continually being filled with the spirit. Right. Right. And so uh, and the way, you know, someone's filled, not that they roll over on the ground. You know, they're filled because the fruit of the spirit is in their life. The next thing it says is submit to one another. If you're filled with the spirit, you're, you have a humility. You can submit to others. We can go on and on about what it looks like. And it's not a coincidence that, that God by the spirit speaks through Paul from that being filled with the spirit right to relationships. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be sub subjected or submitted to your, to, your, to your husbands. Servants, obey your masters. Children, this is how you ought to be with your parents. It, 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 for what God requires, I think it takes being filled with the spirit to carry that out. But that's that's a side note. Uh, so the way I've developed my gifts is one, I just had to speak a lot. There's a time when I spoke a minimum three times a week. Um, I spoke two or three times at church and sometimes I would do webinars and other types of meetings. And um, and and over time, I would go and speak places and it didn't happen overnight. And people would line up and go, I want everything you have. Or they would say, man, you're a very gifted speaker. And I never, I, 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 it never dawned on me when I quote, became a gifted speaker. Like I didn't start out as a gifted speaker. I just kept speaking. And over time, people started saying, wow, I love the way you communicate. It's easy to understand, whatever people would say. Yeah. That, the wisdom thing. Uh, there's a season in my life where I read a book a day. As a young Christian, I read a book a day. Now I probably go through two books a week. Right. And that's, uh, that's more than most yeah. people do in a lifetime. <laughs> and, and you know what? And you say that, right? I'm 27 years in marriage. And it's the it's the thing that my that drives my wife crazy <laughs> because because uh, I'm always buying books and you see behind me. Right. Yeah. You see that there's some books. What she hates is this. Like how I have books. I have nowhere to put the books. So here's the problem. Right? Like I have without exaggeration, 
Mm-hmm. I have, I think, probably 12 of these <laughs> shelves, uh, probably 12 of these bookshelves. And I have more books. I'm thinking, like I was thinking today, I have to buy another bookshelf. But, but here's the ironic thing. When I was in school, David, I hated reading. I, I, all of my tests in college were last minute. So this appetite was developed, right, over time. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember hearing uh, a Jewish guy said that, uh, you know, the first time he went into a home of a Gentile, uh, he was like 14 years old. And he was shocked because he saw no books. Like he was in shock, like he couldn't believe it. Wow. They don't have books in their houses. And so, uh, you know, I didn't grow up around books. Um, but over years, God just gave me an appetite. And I just kept reading and learning. And so that's how I've sharpened my uh, my giftings. And I've had to learn everything. I've, every, every business I've started, I've had to just learn, you know, what to do. And, and I know you you go through the same thing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Sean, this is so amazing. Like, like you're, I think you're, 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 maybe knowingly or unknowingly you're, you're you're destroying some some mental blocks and mental limitations that people are have having both in the church and both those that aren't in the church i think they're getting some some true true transformations just from hearing what you're saying now like so i'm going back on this angle right because you you just said you read about two books a week which is profound they say that the stats are that most people after they graduate from um, college, don't even read another book. After m- majority of people don't read another book. Period. After college, so um, I I know, and, and I look at you as a modern day Solomon, and and um, I think people miss this part too. That Solomon, in all his wisdom, it, he was an avid learner. Right, so he learned and, and and consumed a lot of information. Can you tell? Because I don't think people understand the power of reading. And you read, obviously, you read the Bible, but you also read other books. Like, and it said Solomon read about, uh, uh, I think astronomy. I don't want to mess it up. Astronomy, uh, um, you know, science, biology. Like, yeah. Well, see, again, this goes back to compartmentalizing life, right? Mm-hmm. So, what the Bible focuses on. This is not the only thing, right? But discernment, discernment. Discernment is more important than somebody telling you, don't read that because that's evil. Don't digest that because that's evil. No, what God wants us to learn is how to discern between good and evil. And so what happens to God's people generally is we want someone to just say, don't do that. Don't, Don't read this. Don't be exposed to that. And we have these categories. And so what happens is um, it keeps us from expanding our knowledge base. So let me go back to a couple of things because someone may say, you know, you said earlier, make sure you go through material more than once, but yet you are going through a book or a couple of books a month. You know, how are you able to do that? So I want to connect those two things. And then I want to use Daniel and his three friends instead of Solomon. Now I would say that there's many times I think like, Lord, you've blessed me with the wisdom of Solomon. I don't verbalize it much because Solomon had a thousand women. And, and 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 I don't want to have that. But I would say this, because sometimes people would say Solomon was so wise, but you don't see it in his life. I'm like, you are speaking from a place of ignorance, right? When you read the Proverbs, he says, my father taught me, right? And my son. So when you read through the Proverbs, you can see not only what Solomon understood, but what Solomon was taught, even though David was not the best father. But that all being said, Solomon had many wives and many concubines 
But what a lot of people don't realize, and again, this is not an excuse for Solomon. Solomon used wisdom to his benefit. Solomon knew that if he married your daughter and you were the king of Nigeria, right? That we would not have to have fighting. We don't have to fight. So what Solomon did was created peace treaties by marrying lots of women, <laughs> right? Lots of women, right? That, right, right, right. So again, I'm, I'm not endorsing that. And what I would say is Solomon didn't have a complete Bible. Uh, God did say in Deuteronomy that kings were not to multiply wives. So I'm not making any excuses for him. Um, I don't know how God's going to deal with any of that. I do know that in the old, under the old covenant, you know, David had multiple wives. Moses had multiple wives. Jacob had, we can go down the list. They didn't understand what we understand, one woman uh, in, in the, the Pauline epistles or, or the letters, uh, you know. So, so I would say, um, yeah, I would say that, uh, uh, yeah, Solomon, you know, I, I, there are a lot of things about Solomon that I like, and I study a lot of his writings and his, um, and his living. Uh, but back to Daniel and his three friends. So if you look at Daniel chapter one, right? Daniel and his friends, they come into Babylon as teenagers. It is believed they're ages 13 to maybe 15 years old. Okay. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, think of the worst president of America. Whoever you think that is, multiply that by 1 million. That's who Nebuchadnezzar is. Okay. Um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just talk a certain way. He makes things happen. He takes in slaves. He murders people. On and on we can go. So they capture these boys. He wants the best that Judaism can produce. I want your brightest, your most handsome, your most educated. And he brings them into his nation. And the first thing he does is changes their names. He changes their language. He changes or sets out to change their diet. He puts them in three years of Babylonian university. Okay. All the things that people use to keep them from moving forward. I'm a slave. You don't respect my name. Okay. Get over your stuff. Okay. Or, or people like, you know, you don't respect my culture. Nebuchadnezzar could care less about their culture or their learning or nothing. Yet the Bible says, when they did it God's way, they studied the sciences. They studied the astrology. Let me read to you. Let me read to you what it says here in Daniel chapter one. Okay. Um, it says, as for these four children, verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill. Wisdom in the Bible is not intellect. It's not intelligence. It's not smarts. It's not IQ. Wisdom in the Bible is a skill. It's something you develop. It's something you pray about. Notice in James 1, when you have trials, God doesn't say pray to be delivered from the trial. God says ask for wisdom. Why? Because often the way to get out of trouble is to make better decisions. That's right. Drop that nugget there. <laughs> not saying God can't deliver. Jesus says, pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Right. But James, when he talks about count it all joy when you fall into various trials and trouble. Right. Okay. Count it joy. Why? Because the trying of your faith is going to produce something. That's right. And so many people waste their trials. Mm. Right? They waste their trials. When often those difficulties can be the thing that God uses if you pray for wisdom. If you figure out how to solve that problem or how to get out of that, 
right? Like, like if I was a victim, right? After that business closed, I would have blamed all the pastors that we gave materials to, all the Christians that we worked with, and there were many that didn't pay their bills on time, that left us in that jam. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. As I say to my children, I say to others, one of the best things you could do is take full responsibility for the outcome. Take full responsibility for the results. That doesn't, I didn't say take blame, I said take responsibility. So responsibility then means that allowed the Holy Spirit to teach me something through that, which has helped thousands. I'm not exaggerating, David. Since the closing of that business, by God's grace, I have worked with and helped thousands of business owners and entrepreneurs because of the insight and the wisdom that God has given me and my willingness to learn through difficult seasons. So it says about, about Daniel and his three friends, God gave them knowledge and skill, watch this, in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 20, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them. This is not their testimony as good Jewish followers of God. Probably an, 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 a, a polytheistic guy that follows tons of gods has no respect for their God, who says, when he inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, the astrologers, everyone that was on their team. This idea that uh, people say things like, be a master. Again, a lot of things I say, if you're not able to, to go through the nuances and bring them together, because truth should be held in tension. And here's what I mean by that. Proverbs 15 says, answer a fool according to his folly. But the next verse says, don't answer a fool. Well, which one is true? They're both. It's all about application. There are times you don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be seen like him and he embarrasses you. And then there's times that you answer a fool according to his folly so you could reveal to others who he is, his arrogance, his conceit, okay? So, out of one breath I say the Jews master one subject, right? One skill. I think a better way of thinking of it, thinking of it is a skill. But here we find guys who are put in a sort of a, uh, uh, a very pressured, high pressured situation away from their parents. They have no support. They don't have a community. They can't go to their little community to get support, right? When Daniel is praying with his windows open, we don't see Daniel have his friends there and giving him some, some good peer pressure. So as a teenager, he doesn't give in. No, Daniel doesn't need anybody to support him. He has God. He is so connected to God. He's been so well trained up in the way he should go by his parents, understanding Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, right? When you go, when you're in the, I'm just throwing out a lot of nuggets here, right? Yeah, yeah. How are you learning? How do they learn? They don't learn by reading once. God says, when you wake up, when you lie down, when you go in the way, that's how you learn. Always be digesting it. Always being, be, being exposed to it. But what happens is over time, it changes who you are. As you know, I always say, we don't get our life what we want. We get our life who we are. That's right. I've come back to what I want to say. I just want to say something. Yeah. I think last year you introduced me to Myron Golden. Yeah. Last year, late last year, right? Never heard of him before, never knew anything about him. I was watching something with Myron Golden this week. And Myron said, we don't get our life what we want, we get our life who we are. I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought I made that up. Well, I, you know, I never heard him. You know, I've been saying this for years. Yeah. I'm like, man, and I like Myron because, uh, yeah. you know, as you said, you he 
I reminded you of him, and that's why you felt I should follow him. And I and and uh, I have a lot of respect for Myron. And I, I'm not putting us in the same boat there. I, oh, I am. <laughs> I know you do. Let another man praise you and not you yourself, right? That's scripture, yeah. right? So what I want to go back to Daniel and his three friends. The Bible says earlier in that in that passage that when the king called for them, that the king wanted, it says he wanted children, verse four. Verse four, he wanted children in home, there was no blemish. So they had to be physically attractive. They couldn't come there with zits, right? You couldn't be in the king's courts and you weren't, quote, perfect on the outside. Good looking, well-groomed, no blemish. They needed to be well-favored. That means they needed to be handsome. They needed to be skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and they had to have the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and people home, they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So let me just say what he's saying there. What he was looking for was the 1% of the 1%. Mm. Not only did they have to be good looking, they had to be handsome. They had to have no blemishes. They had to have wisdom that was obvious to everybody else. They needed to be known for this. They needed to be skilled. They needed to be knowledgeable, but they also needed to have an ability to learn a language, the language of the Chaldeans. Mm. And that's how they were assessed. And I'm saying in that environment where he is placing them, they, they're not reading religious books. He doesn't have them reading the, the Talmud or, uh, or, or the, the Torah. Right? So if you have the mentality that the only way to gain wisdom and to grow in knowledge and in your gifting is I'm just going to read the scriptures, then you're uh, sadly mistaken. Now, on the flip side, I am one that beat the drum for reading more of the scriptures because I personally believe when you learn how to rightly divide the word of God, you learn how to apply it to all areas of life. But what I would say is that for me, everything I read I, you know, everything I read, I filter it through. What does the Bible say? Mm -hmm. Right? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Doesn't say he doesn't read it. Doesn't walk in it. Doesn't say he doesn't learn from it. Doesn't walk in it. I love biographies. That's how I learned about Michael Dell. That's how I learned about uh, Andrew Carnegie. That's how I learned about Dale Carnegie. Right? I love reading biographies. Uh, Christian biographies, I think next to the Bible for me, one of the best things to read is biographies. Because you get to see how men are made, how women are made, how people deal with trouble, how they deal with difficulty, how everybody suffers. Nobody gets through this life without some pain and suffering. And that's the result of the fall. Absolutely. I'm curious, what's your favorite biography? Ooh, okay. That's a good question. Ah, uh, I have a couple favorites. So my favorite biographies would fall under the line of the uh, Christian content. Mm -hmm. And so they would be George Whitfield. Um, I would say uh, um, Keith Green, because I'm a musician mm. as well. Keith Green, had a, he has a book called No Compromise. He died in a plane crash in 1982. Great story. It will change your, your walk with God. Um, yeah, I have, you know, I, I, I have some books that are, I have a book called 100, 100 um, it goes to the 100, 100 stories of business people. So it's not full biographies, but it mm. gives you enough content so you get to learn how did liquid how was liquid paper created amazing story if you ever heard of liquid paper you probably older than you liquid paper back in the day when i was growing up right if you typed 
and you typed something, we could we didn't have computers, so you could erase it. So you needed this white, uh, it was called liquid paper, that mm. uh, it was liquid that you would rub on that ink and it, and then let it dry, like, and then you can like write white out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it was liquid form, and over time they they they, they evolved, and we don't need much of that today, right. but. Um, yeah, so so uh, I love biographies. That was a good question, but the ones yeah. that have impacted me the most have been the Christian ones. Because again, so I'm very passionate about business and marketing and that sort of stuff, yeah. as you know. Yeah. And so for me, I have to stay grounded by making sure I also stay connected with with good uh, spiritual content. Yeah. So whether it's the life of A. W. Tozer or R. A. Torrey or Matthew Henry or with the commentary, his life story, Philip Henry, his dad. Um, you know, I, what's ironic about all this is when I was reading all this stuff and studying, I had no goals in mind. Like I wasn't like, I want to find my gift. I wasn't doing any of this. Uh, I, I, one of my mentors is, uh, in the Christian faith, a guy that I have a lot of love and respect for. He's now in heaven. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. Yeah. Leonard Ravenhill uh, wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. It's one of the most powerful books. Uh, and probably in the top 10 of books for me, ever, of any kind of book. Um, uh, but you can't read it too much because it messes up your life. It just messes you up. Right? <laughs> it's all, this is a man who says he spent more time in, on, his, on his knees in his lifetime than he spent on his bed. Like he spent more time in prayer than in his bed. So, so one of the things I learned from him years ago, and I've had a couple conversations with him before he died. Uh, this I didn't learn through conversation. I learned just from some of his teachings is um, he felt that the thing that impacted him the most was biographies. And because I loved and respected who he was, mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to follow his footsteps. And so I started reading biographies. Mm -hmm. um, it started out with religious biographies, and then it evolved into, into you know, just general reading. Yeah. So that's, that's a very good question. So, so, so speaking of, you, you just talked about a little bit about business and marketing. We, we, yes. I want to just take listeners what we've gone through so far. So, so Sean has shown us from a, from a discovery standpoint that a gift starts in, in seed form. And it's our job to then take it to the next phase, which is the development. And, and our, it's our responsibility to read, to be well-learned, to read, to study, to put in the hard work, to do the hours. And the, and what, what Sean didn't mention earlier too, is that Sean is also not only uh, an avid reader, but he's, he's spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop himself and going to conferences, going to, yes. to seminars, um, books, resources to, to pour into themselves. And so these are some of the behind the things that people don't see uh, uh, regarding a gift. So the last phase, Sean, is the distribution part. Which yeah. uh, I know, you know, you mentioned it. Marketing is is everything. It's it's a lifestyle for you. It's it's everything. So a lot of people get the make some some people will get the discovery part. Okay, they've discovered they have a gift to teach or to sing or to write. That's great. They got that down. Then they put the hard work in. Maybe they go to school. Maybe they they build up their craft. Maybe they work for some amazing people. They do some great things. But then the last part seems to be the part where a lot of, and I'm sure you've seen over the thousands of businesses you work with, is where people miss it, is in the distribution bar, in distribution part, the marketing part. He speaks yeah. to us about the importance of, you know, once you've developed your gift, once you've discovered your gift, developed your gift, the marketing of your gift and, and the importance of marketing. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> very good question. And before I forget, let me just say um, um, the book I mentioned that was really helpful to get a crash course on business owners from a biography standpoint 
is a book called 100 Great Businesses, 100 Great Businesses and the Minds uh, Behind Them. Dude, 100 Great Businesses and the Minds, it's 12 hours uh, if you want to do audio book, yeah. um, Audible or somewhere. And um, a lot of great stories there. And, and I think what's really good, you know, I, I, I think just there's so many people that don't have an appreciation for as a person thinks in their heart, not their head, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Right. And heart change takes time. It's not a quick thing. It's a process to change the heart. Right. And so uh, what's great about going through other people's stories is you start realizing uh, Jeff Bezos didn't just happen. Like Bill Gates didn't just happen. Right. Uh, uh, and I don't really like Bill Gates too much, so I probably don't want to use him. But there are a lot of people that didn't just happen from a business standpoint. I do. Ex I do respect people that are able to build successful businesses. Hobby Lobby didn't just happen. Chick-fil-A didn't just happen. Colonel Saunders at 65, he's just getting started, right? 65, people are like, well, I'm too old. Yeah, well, you're too old because you think you're too old, right? But he's, he's left a, uh, he's left a, right? A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, right? So, so uh, back to your uh, question. Uh, your question was about, uh, about distribution and I think, again, this goes back to mindset. Uh, sometimes people say, are sellers born or made? I say they're both, right? You may be born with a, with, with an, with a certain personality, right? I think everybody can sell. You know, what's ironic, I was, uh, we have, uh, my daughter is, uh, my daughter's here and her fiance, they're here today. Well, my daughter lives with me, but her fiance is, uh, is in town. They're getting married next year. We're having breakfast together and, uh, and uh, we're talking about cruises, all right, cruises. My wife and I went on a cruise for our, our 25th anniversary a couple of years ago, and that was mind blowing. Okay, and for the first time we've like, well, I always thought of cruises as, eh, that's not really us. And the change after that, we were like, oh, we're doing cruises every year, right? <laughs> so um, my wife who doesn't like selling, that's her words over the years, right? She's like, Sean, you're a seller, I'm not a seller. And I always remind her, this is the kind of relationship we have. I'm always changing my wife's mind. I'm always washing her, quote unquote, with the water of the word. I'm always like, no, honey, you're, you're thinking it's wrong there. Right? Ephesians 5, right? I, I'm only saying that because people who get to know me, as you know, David, everything I do has, is rooted in scripture somewhere. There's, there's a purpose for it. So, so she is, quote, selling them on why they need to do a cruise for their honeymoon next year. And I, in the middle of this, she's so passionate about it and her belief is so strong. And I think of selling as transferring belief. Right. And her belief is so strong, right? I said, so this is ironic, right? Her name, as you know, my wife is Deborah, like the judge. Um, I said, for somebody that doesn't like selling, you're really doing a good job convincing them. Mm -hmm. So, so I think what's very important is this mindset that people have that, uh, that I'm not a seller, I'm not a marketer. Uh, I think if you're gonna be successful, you need to throw that away. Mm. My philosophy is everybody should be a marketer that does something, right? You're a marketer that actually runs a social media company. You're a marketer that happens to cut hair. You're a marketer that owns a restaurant. Uh, by that, it doesn't mean you have to do all the marketing, but I think it is foolish to believe that, um, generally speaking, there are some, there are some exceptions to the rule. But it is foolish to believe that you can create success without the communication component. 
So my philosophy or my, my idea of marketing, a simple definition for me is, is anything you do to tell people who you are, what you do and why they can trust you. Mm. Right. And uh, should, when should you stop telling people? Huh? Can you repeat that again? That's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when, when should, when should you stop marketing? Right. When should you stop telling people who you are, what you do, and why they can trust you, and how to get in touch with you? Right. That's the fourth part. Who you are, what you do, why they can trust you, because people don't just buy from people they like and know. They can like and know you. If they don't trust you, they don't buy. Everything we do is rooted in belief. Everything we do. It's rooted in what we believe. Mm. Now, we may not be aware of it. We may not be able to define or quantify it, but everything flows from the heart right. as far as belief. So so I think it is foolish to believe you can grow a business without marketing. So Peter Drucker, Peter Drucker, one of the sharpest minds in business, uh, says that only two things grow a business, marketing and innovation. Everything else in the business is a cost. The secretary is a cost. The copy machine is a cost, right? We could go down the list. If you are not marketing, and I use my broad definition, anything you do to tell people who you are, what you do, why they can trust you, and how to get in touch with me. That means marketing is the way you answer the phone. Marketing, right? The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. What's a good name? Good name is reputation. Anything you're doing to enhance or reinforce your brand, your reputation, that's a good thing. That's a spiritual act. And right. so many of God's people don't become better at these things because we have a mindset that says, that's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. So I do believe sellers are born and sellers are made. Mm -hmm. I happen to be a seller that was made. Mm -hmm. And by born, I mean, a person can have a personality. Maybe they're more extroverted, right? But just because someone is more introverted doesn't mean they can't learn how to sell, how to communicate. I think of good selling as communication. I think of good selling as wisdom. He that wins souls is wise. Right. Right. There's a couple ways to look at that text. A person who wins, the person who is reaching souls is a wise person. You can also say it takes wisdom to win souls. Right. So. So, so selling to me is all about communication. It is all about it's, it's wisdom and knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And uh, I just think people are, it's foolish. Here's my belief, David. And this is how I train my team. Um, I think it's foolish to have a product or a service that can change somebody's life. And you are embarrassed to tell people about it. You are cautious to tell people about, about it. You're ashamed to tell people about it. I think to be a good seller is exactly what it takes to be a good evangelist. There are a lot of people who never talk about the Lord because they're ashamed of him. There are people who are ashamed to, to, to be rejected, ashamed to get a no, ashamed to say, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not interested. And, and this may sound weird, but the more we grow, I'm speaking to Christians now, the more you grow in the fear of God, the less you care about what people think. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a good way to think of the fear of God, right? We all know what the fear of man is. It's meaning like, you know, you're afraid of what people are going to say or do. So you change who you are. You right. say something different, you act differently because you're worried about what people are going to think. Well, that's what the fear of God looks like. If I am conscious that God sees everything I do, then I'm concerned more about his frown and his smile mm -hmm. than I am about your frown and your smile. 
And so uh, uh, anybody that has a product or service, you can have the best products in sliced bread. If you don't know how to get it to the marketplace, doesn't matter. I said earlier, 67% of businesses fail in the first five years and 92% in the first 10. Most businesses fail, Jew or Gentile. So uh, uh, what makes them work? You need to be able to, you, to, to define what's unique, your unique value or selling proposition, and then communicate that to the marketplace. And especially if you don't have money, if you have money, you can pay other people to do advertising and marketing for you. That's why you, you and I are in business in that world, right? But most people don't have deep pockets to pay someone to sell their product or their services for them. And uh, I always say, if you learn how to sell, you'll never be broke. You'll never be worried about money. You'll never have to worry about a bad economy. That is good wisdom. Woo. David, I, I, I think back on my life, I've had a lot of jobs. Yeah. And um, uh, mo many people don't know this about me. Um, I, I didn't finish college, right? Because mm. I was going to be a sex symbol. At 22, I dropped out of college. I was going to model acting. I don't need no college degree. Right. And uh, and I never went back to finish. Um, and, and it's neither pro or against college. But I say that to say this, that um, getting out of, you know, uh, what I've learned, I've had to learn by uh, informal learning, just doing a lot of reading, a lot of research and, yeah. and acting on what I was learning. And uh, selling is something that I had to just learn to develop. And I think anyone can develop it. But they have to want to. They have to have the mindset, the mindset that uh, as long as you start identifying yourself like I'm not a seller, I am. You put an I am to something, that's identity. I am not a writer. I am, right? There's only one I am. His name is Jesus. I don't want to identify myself as anything that is different from what he says I can, I can be. So there was something else I wanted to say there, but I talked myself out of it. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Um, so, so from a marketing perspective, too, like, so Sean, help help the person that's listening right now that's saying, Sean, uh, I've developed. I'm a really great graphic designer. I'm a great writer. I'm a great this. Um, where do I start? How do I start marketing myself and marketing my gift or talents? And I'm not saying that those are the only. Uh, uh, because we know there are giftings of all types. There's wisdom. There's yeah. gifts that that are that are more seen in. Actually, I believe most gifts are internal anyway. But but um, how does one market themselves or their craft um, to start out? Well, I think it also again it goes back to your belief, right? Mm -hmm. uh, believing that people would be better off for working with you, better off for using your product, your service. So it has to start with me believing that I have something that could change or enhance people's lives. And one way to start is to test it, mm -hmm. right? Find a couple people that can go through your program, go through, you try your product, your services, even if it's at no cost, just so you can get feedback, so you can get testimonials. Right. Um, and this is where wisdom, com wisdom comes in. I I've had a lot of people over the years that maybe started uh, with a new product or a new service and they didn't have a customer base. And I said, well, if what you have is as good as you say it is, let's get some people to try it or use it and and don't give it to them for free because that which costs nothing is worth nothing. But money is not just, you know, uh, value doesn't just come through money. Right. I said, what you can ask them to do is to create you a testimonial and maybe give you two or three referrals if they like what you provided them. Right. And what that does, number one, is it helps you to believe that what you have is worth 
worth the value. It's worth selling. Because again, we, we so often don't realize how much of what we do is tied to what we believe or how much we don't do is tied to what we believe. Another thing I would say, you mentioned earlier that I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on learning and mentors and reading and courses and seminars. And my wife over the years, especially when we weren't making real money, didn't love a lot of it. She loves it now. <laughs> she doesn't remember any of that. Um, but I would say, don't be afraid to invest money in a mentor, in somebody that can help you skip steps. Don't be afraid to invest money in, uh, and the reason I like mentors or, or again, even if I say to people, even if you have someone do the work for you, be as close to the process as you can, because you're going to pick up and learn stuff as much as they're willing to, you know, no one's going to give their secret sauce if they're selling particular service, but there are certain things you can pick up and you can learn along the way. Um, as far as starting, you know, people are afraid to go live. I mean, the day in which we live, it is so much easier in 2021 mm -hmm. than it was in 1995. Truth. You know, in my, and when I was doing businesses in the 90s, uh, if you didn't have money um, to advertise, you had to just do a lot of guerrilla marketing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, you hit knock on doors and, and I did a lot of cold calling. Uh, I still train my team today to just pick up the phone and make calls. You know, you say, I'm not good at cold calling. Okay, you can learn. Today, we can learn anything, right? There's Udemy, there's YouTube, there's so many resources. All you got to do is, I, I would say this, David, there's so many things to learn and you can get, people can get overwhelmed. So I would say pick one way of marketing or getting information out about your brand or your product or services and master that. Mm -hmm. Keep doing that until you get the results and oh, then yes. add something else. So so maybe that one thing is Facebook ads, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Facebook ads, you could do very inexpensively, mm -hmm. right? And $100 a month and, mm -hmm. and keep learning and keep testing. The problem is so many people want to skip the steps. They mm -hmm. want to go. They want to they want to be Gary V mm -hmm. without understanding why wine library TV. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Gary is from New Jersey. I met Gary. What year is this, 2021? I met Gary like in 2010, mm. 2011. He was doing Wine Library TV. He had a liquor store. He's running his dad's store. Mm -hmm. uh, he had just written uh, Crush It. Yeah. Um, very few people knew his name. Yeah. Most people don't realize how much time and money he spent yeah. just learning. That's right. Like, like what we see is a result of mm. seed sown. What he's sown, he's now reaping. And right. so anyone that expects to skip the process mm -hmm. to get to the result is going to be sadly mistaken. God is wired into creation that you can't skip steps. You've heard me tell this story. Years ago, uh, scientists and experts felt sorry for the butterfly. They felt sorry for the caterpillar. They saw the caterpillar struggling to get out of the cocoon. The cocoon and, uh, and so people thought, let's help the caterpillar. Poor little, you know, this is femininity. Poor little caterpillar is suffering. Praise God for femininity. I have four daughters, but you need masculinity too. And even in Acts six, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, God tells women, act like men. There's masculinity, there's femininity. Okay? Okay. I'm going to get into arguments. About <laughs> That's good. <laughs> there's femininity. And when your 1 Corinthians is all jacked, the church in Corinth is all jacked up, right? They become too feminized. They're feeling oriented. They're not, I can go on and on here, but how did God say to deal with it? 
Acts 16, 13. He says the whole, to the whole congregation, act like men. Okay? What does manhood look like? Manhood looks like my son comes in, he was just called a nigger at 13 years old. Mm. The neighbor in the street, down the street, called my son an N-word. I should say N-word. I don't know how you're putting this out. I don't want anything to get... You're fine. You can bleep it out. I don't know. We're so so soft today. Everything is an offense. Right. That's what I mean by femininity. Right. I like femininity. Women are supposed to be soft. Mm -hmm. But soft men is a problem. I agree. Right. So... My son comes in, the neighbor just called me the N-word. All the kids come in, my my nieces, nephews, uh, my daughters come with him. My son, I think is like eight, the oldest daughter is like 12 or something like that at this time. I think they expect that I'm gonna be livid. I'm going to the neighbor. How dare you let your son, you raise this racist, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And to my son, I said, what does the word, what does the N-word mean? He told me his young definition. I said, is that who you are? He said, no, dad. I said, okay, go and play. That's masculinity. Mm. You don't have to be moved by everything you hear. You don't mm. have to be offended or injured by everything you hear. All right? Mm. This is what, I didn't mean to get into this, but this is uh, weakened so many of our black and brown mm. homes and communities because we don't have masculinity in our homes. I was mm. raised without a dad. My wife was raised without a dad. Mm. I'm not knocking any of that. Mm. I'm just saying. James 1.27 says, pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. A home without a male, from God's perspective, maybe not from yours or your political bent or your culture, whatever. From God's perspective, no male is an afflicted home. It's the widow, she doesn't have a husband. Fatherless, doesn't have a daddy. That's an afflicted home. There's things that men bring to a home. There's things that women bring to a home. When my two-year-old falls down, I don't want to nurture her. I want mommy to. You know what I do when she fall down when she was two? Oh, awesome! Great! She looks up and she's shocked. Like, I should... But if she always gets, oh, I'm so sorry, then you're going to create somebody that cannot deal with stress, pressure, tension, on and on I can go. I I was saying something there that I thought was so important. I, I... that deviated. You, what did you ask me there? Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, no, 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 that was good. Um, we, we were just talking about, um, we were shifting into um, like marketing and, and you mentioned believe. And then you mentioned, oh man, it was so good too. I, I think I lost it. I'm so sorry. I, I'm no. sorry. Sorry sorry to anyone that would listen back to this. You know, no, I could no easily worry. say, well, the Lord was leading me. <laughs> but, but the I'm flow, that's that. what we, 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 we asked for this. We prayed for this. We, we want the flow. And, and, that, and somebody needed to hear that. So somebody yeah. needed to really hear that concept. Um, so, so Sean, one of the questions, one of the final questions we asked before, um, well, uh, yeah, one of the final questions we asked before asking about like your, you know, where people can find you, learn about your your services, book you to come speak, um, all of that, all of that aspect. Um, I'm very curious to know your answer to this. Uh, we asked everybody on the show this. The one question that everybody gets okay. is to you. What is and again for listeners, no one is ever prepared for this question. Yeah, I don't. No I don't know the question. You have me on my toes. You know, I'm like okay, all off the cuff. Um, what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's Ooh. gift and one's purpose. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. Uh, so when I think of purpose, um, wow, that, that's a very, very good question. 
I think of gift as as something you do. I think of purpose as the result that you produce, or the or the the, the destination or uh, the outcome. So um, that's a very very unique question. You kind of tripped me up there, man. Um, a person's gift. So uh, let's start with purpose, right? So for me, again, my mind is programmed with the scriptures. So it's my answer is probably not going to sound a little bit different from some of your other guests. When I think of purpose, I think of Revelation 4:11. So from my mindset, I think every person was made for God's glory. All of us are made to give Him glory. Now we give Him glory in different ways, right? A bird gives God glory by chirping. An ant gives glory to God or puts God on display. That's what I mean by give God glory, make Him famous. An mm -hmm. ant makes makes God God famous by being diligent by being innovative, right? An ant needs no overseer, guide, or ruler. No one has to tell the ant what to do. Yet you and I could look at the ant, if we're lazy, and get wisdom. In that sense, the ant is living out its purpose. I'm using that as an example, because especially in the church, we tend to think of purposes as always religious, right? And so there's people who think being a pastor or minister or somebody that's in an office in a church, that is more virtuous and a greater purpose right than being a chef or being a business owner or whatever and that's again we're compartmentalizing life when we're not to so so when i think of purpose i think of purpose as more related to maybe what god has uh created and called me to be and from god's perspective it's very broad in my mind it's very broad in the sense that what god has called me to do is to glorify him all right first corinthians 10 31 says whatsoever you do watch this whatsoever you do he's not he's not telling you what to do in this mm. text he's saying whatsoever you do and he brings it to the most common basic natural we can even say secular thing right the most natural thing you and i can do next to breathing eating and drinking he says whatsoever you do whether you eat or drink quote do all to the glory of god so a lot of God's people get confused about purpose because we think of purpose like, am I supposed to be a teacher? Am I supposed to be a musician? Am I supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer? I'm going to say, this is, gonna, this is not going to sound religious. God doesn't really care. God cares less about those things. He's more concerned about how we do what we do. Right? And so, so when we do what we do as unto the Lord, in other words, we're conscious of wanting to please him, right. then that makes our purpose God-honoring and Christ-centered. So so now that frees many, right? And the non-church doesn't have this problem, but it frees the church community to not stay in that cycle, that hamster wheel, that limbo, where I'm continually trying to figure out what is my purpose? We've made purpose like a mystery. It's that mystery out there. And so for me, purpose is very simple. It's like, what do you love doing? Yeah. Right? Is it contrary to scripture? Is God, is there any laws in the Bible that say don't do that? Mm -hmm. Okay? And the way I see God guiding and directing is he, he directs movement. Mm -hmm. It says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, not the standing, not the sitting. So all this waiting, trying to figure out what's my purpose, to me creates confusion mm -hmm. when people should say, okay, you know, what am I gifted at? What do I love doing? I love teaching. I've done it for 30 years. That's mm -hmm. not me. That's what the person's saying. Yeah. Okay, so part of your purpose may be to develop teachers. Mm. Test it. Here's mm. one other nugget here that I'd add. Yeah. The reason my thinking is this way, David, is again, 
my mind is filled with scripture, right? And it kind of, it's, it's like a computer going on inside when you ask me the question. Yeah. So from my perspective, everything in God's economy, right? You and I are going to be developing, create your own economy, right? Yeah. Everything in God's economy, in God's world, mm -hmm. right? Beyond just God's kingdom, everything in God's economy, the laws that and the principles, the statutes, the testimonies that govern God's world, everything about it, um, everything within God's world, right? I just lost what I wanted to tell you. Don't wait, stay with me. Mm -hmm. Everything is connected to, it has to be tested, mm -hmm. tested. The Bible mm -hmm. says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, right? Um, uh, we can go through Romans 12, 1. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, verse two, so that you can quote, prove, test, what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God? God's will must be tested. Hmm. When you know that, this is freeing. Because hmm. see, we in the church, because we read the back, the front of the back of the book, which is more Greek and Roman thinking, mm -hmm. we have a tendency to think that God's will is a mystery that needs to be discovered. Hmm. Or better discovered is actually a good word that god's will is something god has to tell me or god has to use somebody to tell me so we're mm. waiting for somebody to lead us mm. instead we need to be like the ant yeah. the ant has no overseer no guide no ruler there's no prime minister no apostle no pastor telling the ant what to do nobody tells the ant to get up early in the morning nobody mm. tells the ant to save for a rainy day no mm. one tells the ant to 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 work diligently Mm. Fired into the DNA yeah. of the ant. So when I think of purpose, I think for me, it's about fulfilling God's will. And my purpose is then in line with one, what do I love doing? Yeah. Two, what do I do naturally? Right. I didn't say easily, mm. naturally, mm. right? Naturally is different from easily. Mm. Uh, what do I, what do I do that other people come to me for advice about or for? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What kind of magazines am I attracted to? What mm. type of YouTube channels or, or podcasts am I subscribed to? That tells a lot about my appetites, my wiring. I love, if I, let's say I'm the person, I love flowers. Mm. In the world in which you and I live, you can yeah. develop a six, seven, eight figure income. True. Loving flowers. That's so true. You know, so what happens to a lot of people is they're waiting for this magical thing. It's like before I get ma got married, uh, I, I was waiting for God to tell me who my wife would be. Mm. So I called up Leonard Ravenhill, right? Mm. He was the man I thought, this is a man, this is a Elijah of the 90s in my mind, right? Mm. This, is, this is the man of God that, um, that, that, that taught David Wilkerson, which is the ministry that I was under. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I called him up, David, and I'm like, uh, you know, this is a man who said I spent more time praying on my knees than mm. sleeping in my bed. So even oh. just hearing that, that just wrecked my life. Yeah. And by the way, if you got to know him, you knew that was true. He wasn't just trying to boast. Wow. Tozer was like that as well. And Tozer was somewhat of a mentor to him, I guess, you know, somebody he looked up to. Mm -hmm. A.W. Tozer, for those who don't know the name, Google it. Um, yeah. So so I called him up and uh, this was the time when I was like fasting and praying. And, mm -hmm. you know, I liked my wife to be, but I wasn't sure. I was going through a lot of back and forth. And mm -hmm. you would have fight or an argument or a disagreement. I'm like, I, maybe this is not the one. Because mm -hmm. I expected it to be easy. We'll never have a disagreement, blah, blah, blah. Right. 
So I called up Mr. Ravenhill. Hey, Mr. Ravenhill, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. This is Sean Isaacs. You know, yeah, Times Square Church, New York. Yeah, how you doing, son? And he was a man with of, of, of little words, not a lot of mm-hmm. fluff. And I said, I just have a question for you. How did you know who your wife was? And I expected him to tell me, this was, you know, Pentecostalism. I was in that back then. I expected him to tell me, uh, honestly, I was fasting and praying for seven days. Uh, I was in my closet. The room lit up and the angel came. And I'm not even trying to be funny. But this is a mindset yeah. that I had in my 20s. And yeah. the angel said, this is your wife. Martha is your wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought he was going to say that. He said, well, we went to the same church. Uh, we both liked each other and we got married. I was like, what? <laughs> right after that call, I called up my wife. I said, let's get married. That would freed me. You see, I was in this, I was yeah. in this, I was in this uh, limbo place where yeah. I had so spiritualized things mm. that if it wasn't spiritual in nature, it yeah. wasn't honoring to God. Wow. And so a lot of people, when they start thinking of talent or gift, yeah. I, like, I like to, you know, I've never really done a study on these, but I just off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, I think of, of singing, that's a talent, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, um, I think of, of, of certain things as giftings. Right, so um, um, I think for me, a gift can be developed. Talents can be developed too. But I think mm-hmm. of a gift as something that that God gave you. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, as I said earlier, I think of it as something given in seed form. It mm-hmm. has to then be nurtured and developed. And um, and I think we all can get better at whatever it is we do. We just have to pay the price. That's wisdom. Oof. It's been. I, I I promised. I knew this would be an episode that they needed to listen to over and over again. So much wisdom, Sean. I, I so appreciate you uh, just just pouring out your your wisdom that God has given you uh, with all of us, those listening. Um, so, Sean, can you share uh, what what resources people can have? I know you um, you're authored many times over. You you got plenty of resources, things they can connect with. Can you just share um, some of the best ways for them to get a hold of your resources and and, and- yeah, um, I think what I would direct people to is just uh, YouTube, Sean Isaac's YouTube. I think uh, that's a good way to connect. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, my my I, I have uh, as you know many Facebook pages. Um, I'm streamlining a lot of what I'm doing now, and I'm going to put a lot of my energy into my YouTube channel. Nice. Uh, but but uh, what people can get, as you know, something I've been doing for about three or four years is something I call daily daily nuggets of wisdom, uh, and that uh, is something I've done on Facebook for years on my own private channel. Um, I am now moving all of that um, content to YouTube. So that's a good place. And I have a couple of websites, Libri Session Proof Now, SeanIsaacs.com. I have Double Edge Music. If you want to be introduced to our music, Double Edge Music. Uh, I have Isaac's Marketing Group, which is our digital marketing firm. Um, yeah, I you know, I feel like if people really want to find you, they they will they'll Google, they'll look you up and um, and so on. But I, I think YouTube and Instagram would probably be the, the, the easiest place to start. Love it, Sean. Uh, and I promise, I know, I know, I know, I said that was the last question. I just have yeah. one last question for you. Yeah, you know, I was thinking as I was sitting here, I'm like, man, he's gonna have a lot of editing to do. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, we're, I'm gonna tell you right now, we're, we're leaving everything in. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. So I gotta listen so, back, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the question I have for you is, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you about gifting that 
you know, you wanted to share that you haven't shared yet that you think people should know? Um, that's a good question. I would say, no, the only thing I would, I would say is that, um, I would just reinforce that most of the people that I know today, and I'm in my fifties now, every, most of the people I know today that are quote gifted in an area, if you got to know them, you spend time with them. Uh, there, there was a lot of price to pay to, to discover the gift, to develop the gift, to distribute the gift. Um, and so uh, I think one of the best things people could do is, is arm themselves with the right mindset. Like this is biblical, right? Like the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand in the evil day. What's the principle there? There's going to come a day when you have difficulty that's above your resources, above your capacity. And so the way to prepare is not to know all the challenges in advance and avoid them. The way to prepare is to put on the armor of God so that you could stand. And this idea is all through uh, the scriptures, preparing in advance. So I think people need to prepare by having the right mindset about what to expect. And this is one of the things I like about Gary Vee, because Gary, Gary, uh, you know, he gets to, he deals with a lot of millennials and, um, and a lot of people in that space um, um, expect things to be quicker. You know, uh, expect like, you know, hey, I, I, I launched a podcast and I've done 25 episodes and I have five people listening and they're ready to quit. And I think what I would say to people when you think about gifting is again, remember you're operating in God's world. You don't have to believe in God. I'm just telling you, this is world. Just like there's a law of gravity. There's a law of sowing and reaping. So, so, so we get what we sow. Our lives are a result of what we've sown the last year, the last three years, the last five years. And you can't skip those steps. This is why the Bible says, like, like if you, and if someone just gives you money, yeah. it says, the scripture says, it makes itself wings and fly away. It's not a coincidence that people that win the lottery within a 10 year period, most of them are bankrupt. Because God's world is not created in a way. God's, God hasn't set up his world for things to be without effort, without uh, time invested, without energy, without diligence. And so when you think of gifting, don't think of it as just something you receive that that it, it, and it's not developed. And, you know, LeBron, people would say he's a very gifted basketball player. LeBron would say, I spend over a million dollars a year in training and uh, in the right nutrition, getting proper sleep, breathing in the right type of oxygen. Uh, what you see is a result of investment, not something that he was just given. So I, I gift is an important word because none of us need to be prideful about who and what we are or what we've been able to produce. And everything, the Bible says every good and perfect gift, 1 Timothy 6, comes from him, the father of lights, right? Everything comes from God, right? So we always want to give him credit. But just because it comes from him doesn't mean I'm not a co-laborer, that I'm not to work with him to develop. And this is one of the advantages I think the world has over the church. Uh, I've often said to a lot of Christians as I end here, I get to work with a lot of Christian business owners and entrepreneurs, uh, and sometimes there's a lot of confusion about uh, what to do because I don't know what God's will is. And I put that in quotes. And so I'll sometimes, you know, and this is weird for, you know, pastoral person to say something like this. I say, what, what would you do if you weren't a Christian? They get an aha moment. It's like, God never expected you to turn off your brain just because you're a child of God. God, God is, watch this, God is so 
powerful and so wise, right? Paul talks about the 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 um, the multicolored wisdom of God, right? God's wisdom is uh, is described as as a wisdom with many layers, and by that I mean the rich. This guy's born blind, John chapter nine, right? And he's not healed until he's forty. Now, you lack wisdom, you would say. First of all, Jesus lived for 33 years. Jesus meets him at like 30 or 30, like 31. So for 30 years, Jesus passed him and did not heal him. For 30 years, Jesus saw the need and did nothing about it. And you could conclude, Jesus, you didn't care? Well, we know he didn't couldn't do ministry, quote, until he was 30 because he had to be a Levitical priest. And you can't you can't do ministry until you're 30 years old. That's a that's a very interesting thing to study there. John at 30, Jesus at 30, right? It's a side note there, interesting thing to study. But the wisdom of God was, God didn't just want to heal this man. God healed him in a way that it could become New Testament narrative. He healed him in a way that all of the community knew he was healed because he had to be blind for 40 years. So everyone in the community know. See, God does everything to give himself the greatest glory. That's why you cannot get caught up in the small things or the small beginnings or what's not happening. Because over what's what's over all of that is God is also looking at what's going to accomplish his purposes. Right? My wife, as you know, has dealt with cancer seven or eight times now in 20 years. If I got caught up in the minute details of why did this happen, I would have missed all the families and the thousands of people, hundreds, thousands of people impacted by her story, her testimony. Um, our music ministry would have never been created if my wife didn't wasn't diagnosed with cancer and we hadn't closed the business. So when if you have a mindset that says things are to be easy, right? If you just stay on a steady diet of Joel Osteen, you're not prepared for life. Joel Osteen is a great motivational speaker from Sean's perspective, but Joel Osteen is not preparing you to suffer. He's not preparing you to go through trials. He's not preparing you to go through difficulty. And many people never succeed in business because they quit right at the time when they were going to break through. Wow. Right? Right at that time when they were going to break through. You heard Thomas Edison, 10,000 plus failures. And somebody said, Mr. Edison, you failed 10,000 times. How did you keep going? Said, who, who told you I failed 10,000 times? It took 10,000 times to figure out how to do it right. right. See, that's a man that understands process. And many Christians skip that step because we think because we serve God, we have a relationship with God, and we can pray that God's just going to zap us. God's just going to give us answers. And it, it doesn't cost nothing. It doesn't take time. It doesn't require investment. And I'm telling you, when you skip those steps, you only end up coming short of what God, what God says. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, I was in my 20s, maybe 27, and I heard one of his messages. I was a young preacher and all that, you know, preaching on the streets. And I want to, I want to be, I want to be this powerful shaker of God's world and mover. Right? I never, I wasn't even thinking about business back then. I was like, I was just doing business to make money to support my family. I still had this compartmentalized life, evangelism, missions, pastoring. That is, that's really spiritual. This other stuff, you do it because you have to. And uh, uh, I remember hearing him saying, hey, if you're a young preacher, he says, it takes 30 years to make a man of God. I was like, 30 years? In my mind, I was like, it's not going to take 30 years for me to do it. Well, I've been in ministry now 
for more than 30 years and I understand what he was saying. I have a great appreciation for the process and, uh, and, uh, and, and why you can't skip steps. And all of that gives honor and glory to God. You know, we just have to embrace it. So, wow. Whew. Fire, Sean. Gems, fire. Uh, mics, mics dropped. This was powerful. This was tremendously powerful. I, I'm so blessed. Uh, and I just I just want to say, uh, I always say this behind the scenes, but I, I truly admire you, Sean. You're, you're a really a, a gem, uh, uh, a true, true uh, Solomon with the good wisdom, right? And the good stuff and, 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 and the the uh, example, example for uh, this generation of how we should lead our lives in many areas. And, and, and you do that. You do that at a high level. And um, so I appreciate you jumping on the show. I appreciate you sharing us wisdom. Uh, I, I can't wait for all the listeners to hear all that was shared today. Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on. And uh, yeah, I pray that something impacts. If I can leave your audience with anything, read a proverb a day. Mm. Read a proverb a day. I'm going to get back to that. That, that yeah. morning. Because well, it. it says it gives wisdom to the simple, mm. right? It gives prudence and discretion. And when we run business from heart and not head, we lack discretion, we lack wisdom, we lack tendency, we can have this tendency to lack diligence. All those things are found uh, in Proverbs as well as um, in a very unique way throughout the Old Testament. Wow, that's good stuff. All right, brother, man, it's good. Uh, Good jumping on, good connecting. Thank you, likewise, appreciate you, Sean. All right. Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discovered My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called the Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it. And I'd love to give that to you as a free gift, as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. That's podcast.david, the middle initial D, Simons, S-I-M-O-N-S, dot com, and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.